We've got a set of notes that we're going through. Page 16 in those notes, page 16. And we will pick up on page 16 in just a moment. I want to remind you of some things that are coming up. On two weeks from today is our annual, what we call Servants Seminar. And that is a time when everybody who's a member of our church or anybody who thinks they might be interested in being a member of our church is invited to come 4.30 to 8 o'clock on Sunday evening. We have dinner in between. But you're invited and really encouraged to come to hear about what we want to accomplish, if God allows, in the next 10 years. This is the 15-year anniversary of our church. We're going to be laying out a 10-year then plan just for a bulleted list of items and an explanation of those items that we hope to accomplish in the next 10 years together. So it's very important for you to be aware of those so that you can participate in helping us move that forward. And that'll be two weeks from today, 4.30 in the afternoon. Now, we don't have child care for that because we want all of our people to be able to be in here, including those who would be doing the child care. So that's why we don't. So if you can make arrangements for that so that you can be here, that would be great. And then the following week, three weeks from today on the 13th, that afternoon, Sunday afternoon at 5 o'clock is our anniversary celebration. We call it our celebration dinner. We do that every fall because our church started 15 years ago in the fall. And it is just a, a dinner and enjoying each other's company here, catered dinner. And uh, it will it's me- Mexican uh, cuisine. And we do have child care for that from three years old up to fifth grade during the program portion. During dinner, everybody's in here, including the, the young people. Uh, for babies, we don't have child care that night. Uh, but then after we eat, then the three-year-olds uh, three through fifth grade will have supervised care for the hour or so that we will hear testimonies from you of God's grace in your life over the last year. It's the only time during the year that our church has testimonies. A lot of churches have a Sunday evening service every week or a Wednesday service where everybody's together and they'll periodically have these kind of testimony times. And our structure is not like that. We have home groups on Sunday nights, as many of you know. Our Wednesday night program is a Bible institute, so there's a bunch of classes going on. So we don't have everybody together at either of those. We don't have times where it's uh, easy to have these testimony testimony times. Uh, so that's one shot you get. And we encourage you weeks out then to think about that. Think about what God's done in your life. Think about sharing a word of testimony that would be praise to the Lord, but encouragement to your brothers and sisters as well. And then last item is on November the 20th, we have our next baptism. And if you've never been baptized, and the Bible describes baptism, and the only way anybody was ever baptized in the Bible is by being immersed in water, Uh, to symbolize the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. So if that has never happened with you, then you have never been baptized the way the Bible describes. And it is something that Jesus commands for all of his followers. So it's something for you to uh, be uh, take seriously. And we want to help you with that. Now, the way to get that process started is there's a one-page application for you to fill out. Fill it out as much or as little as you're able. And you get that application at our information desk out in the lobby. You fill that out. You turn that into them. And they will get it to me. I will contact you. And then we will go from there. But that's baptism in one month on November the 20th. All right. Now, last week, I had everybody come into the middle. Do you guys remember that? 
No? Uh, it was a week ago, so how could you possibly remember? Uh, so I'm wondering if you guys on the way far edges would be willing to do that. Can you guys uh, come into the middle? And the reason is, is because we uh, have three classes going on right now. Most of the time during this hour, we have one class in here, and it's a fuller group. But because we have two other classes happening, given that the subject matter here is parenting and not everybody's interested in parenting, either because they're not parents or they've given up on parenting or their kids are grown or whatever the case may be, we have another class going on right now out that door and across the hall uh, going through the book of Second Corinthians. So if you didn't know this is the parenting class and you'd like to be in the Second Corinthians class, then please feel feel free to go to that class. You will benefit from that. We also have a young adult class going on for those 18 to 25. That's also out those doors across the hall. That's in classroom two. The second Corinthians class is in classroom one. All right. Hey, thank you all for uh, for moving over. Appreciate it. This is Parenting with Purpose, as you see on the screen. <coughs> and you see at the top of page 16, it says section one, foundations for parenting. We are finishing that section. And next week we will start the second section, which is the process of parenting. But we've been laying out foundational issues to help us with the process of parenting that are uh, indispensable. An understanding of these foundational issues is indispensable to us being able to carry out the process of parenting. And over these weeks together, and if you've not been able to be with us in the prior weeks, these messages, as all our messages, are on the our website, so you can listen to those. And if you have your handout in hand, then it's almost like being here. And we have looked at what a family is, And we've seen that a family is to be uh, three things. It's to be a learning community, a sociological community, and a redemptive community. I won't take time to re-explain that. But just to lay out what the purpose for a family is so that in a class called Parenting with Purpose, knowing the purpose, we can then uh, try to achieve that in the way we go about it. We've looked at the roles that a husband and a father plays in a family, if there's a husband present, a mother place uh, on a wife if there's a if there's a wife present and then the role that a children children are to play in obeying their their parents so we've looked at roles and then last week we began to look at the overall objective i mean put in one sentence what is it we're trying to accomplish with our children and to simplify it as much as possible based upon genesis 2 and verse 24 which says for this reason A man, and you could supply or woman, a man or woman will leave his father and his mother and will cleave to his wife or or husband. So parents are raising their children so that all things being equal, there's going to come a time when they're going to leave, one. And having left, they're going to unite with a husband or wife and they're going to establish their own home. So if that is what's going to happen, all things being equal. Now, the reason I say all things being equal, of course, there are exceptions to that. There may be uh, the case where uh, a child has physical needs or mental needs such that they live with the parents. They may live with the parents for their entire life uh, and not go out on their own. But that's a special circumstance. Likewise, most of our children will be married. Just the averages are that most of them, the vast majority of them will be married, but not all of them. Not everyone gets married, and in our day, fewer people are, are getting married. That's not, a, that's not a particularly good thing, but it is a, a reality. 
that fewer are getting married and they're taking longer to get married, that also is not a particularly good thing uh, either. But there's no guarantee that our children are going to be married or that they're even going to leave the home, but all things being equal, most will do both, leave and be married. So I said last week that our objective then is to help our children to be marriageable. And by that, I meant they need to be taught to be independent and they need to be taught to be sociable. So that as you raise them, they come to young adulthood, they are now able to be married if that's what God has for them. It may not be, but if it is, then they are prepared and you have prepared them for that. Which brings us then to page 16. If that's the end game, if that is the end of what it is we're trying to accomplish, to make our kids marriageable, then... Uh, and independent and sociable, well, then we begin the process of that. How do we carry out a game plan in order to achieve that, that end? And on page 16, you see Ephesians 6.4, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That next paragraph explains that it's addressed to fathers, but it assumes the role of the mothers as well. So fathers and mothers. Bring your children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And last week on page 16, I went over these four points about what bringing them up means. I'm not going to go through that again. We'll go in a moment to page 17 and start uh, where we left off. But I do want to underscore the first of those those four points again. You see it there in the middle of page 16 that parents must raise their children. Parents must raise their children. And I said last week that that means that it assumes that you know where the children need to go. It assumes you know what the children need. In order for you to raise them, in order for you to direct them, you've got to know where they're supposed to go. And I mentioned last week that that then requires a confidence that I know where these children are to go. Not an arrogance, but a confidence. That I know better, I know better than you do, kid, where you're supposed to go. You can do that confidently, you can do that kindly, without being arrogant. But you must be assured of it yourself, and you must communicate that assurance to your, to your child as you direct them, as you, as you raise them. So, That means, as it plays itself out, you're not going to do certain things because they don't move you in the direction you need to go. And I, your parent, know this. And they, your child, are going to go, they're going to buck. How do you know? Uh, Why can't I? Or, you've heard this, if you haven't, you will. If you're a parent, everybody else is. Because you you see, most parents, many parents, are not raising their children. They're housing their children. They're supplying for their children. They're taking their children where their children want to go. But they are not looking ahead from a God-centered perspective and saying, where do you need to go? And now knowing where you need to go, I'm going to help you get there, take the steps to get there, and avoid the things that will keep you from getting there. So there's stuff that we'll do, and there's stuff we won't do. 
because it either contributes to or deters from being able to get there. Like what? I mentioned last week electronic devices. I'm just trying to get to the nitty-gritty here. Is it a good thing for your child to have his or her nose buried in an electronic device most of the time? I think I've probably given away what I think about that and <laughs> the way I phrased it. And, uh, you know, my, as a parent, my considered view is that doesn't help you become sociable. And since that's the end game here that God has given us, then I'm going to help you avoid doing stuff that detracts from you being able to do that. So when you're in the presence of people, you won't be on your phone. You won't be on your iPad. You won't be on your iPod. You won't have stuff in your ear. You'll be able to hear people. You'll be able to converse with people. If you own a phone, it will be for emergency purposes. Yes, as you get older, then to communicate socially with your friends and all of that. But again, you will do that at times that are appropriate. You will not distance yourself from other human beings. Because one of the major objectives we have in raising you is that you learn to be sociable. When we go to a restaurant, you will learn very early on to look the waiter or waitress in the eye and order. And we can, we would and should discuss before the waiter or waitress comes. Here's what you can get. Here's the list of stuff you can pick from, usually from the child's menu. They want filet mignon. No, you go to the PB&J, the macaroni and cheese. Those child menus always have the same junk, don't they? So I do feel sorry for the poor children, but nevertheless, this is your section here, okay? And you can choose from that. And you need to learn to make decisions. So we're not taking forever. You got six things here. Which one do you want? All right, I'm giving you a little bit of time. You're taking too much time. I will order for you. Well, then all of a sudden they learn how to make decisions because I don't want you ordering for me. So you're teaching them, though, to be independent. You're teaching them to be sociable. And you're not doing that because you're an arrogant parent. You're doing that because this is part and parcel of what God has given you to do. And you're starting to do that at a young age. So stuff like, and, and, and again, they're going to see every other kid in the restaurant whining, hiding behind their parents. When the waiter or waitress comes, they're going to see every other kid in there with stuff in their ear and on their iPhones while they're with their family. I know that. But here's the great news. The good news is God cares enough about you to not make you every other kid. Because you're in a Christian family. And we got a book from God. And he says, this is what I want you to do with these kids. I want you to raise them. I want you to prepare them for the time that they're going to leave home. So because we're not everybody else who frankly is flying blind, flying completely blind, we're going to have intentional things that we do and don't do. All right? That's devices. That's ordering. Dating. Now, how are you going to help them get from here to there? You know, you as the parent know where they need to go, and you know what the pitfalls are that can keep them from going there. And if your kids learn in an early age what everybody else is doing in the culture, which is there's the meat market of dating. And they learn that meat market approach to relationships with members of the opposite sex that will not help them move toward meaningful relationships with a future marriage partner. 
Further, you know how frail a young person's emotions can be. I mean, our emotions are pretty frail too, but particularly a, a teenager. A junior hire? Yikes, are you kidding me? A junior hire? And a junior hire is like going steady with a boy or a girl in junior high? Are they ready for that? Let me answer that. No. When they're in high school, and one of the dangers you're going to have is you're going to look back and you're going to go, well, when I was in high school, and look how I turned out. I did that in high school. Look, God's grace preserves us through all kinds of things, but that doesn't mean what you did is necessarily the best thing to do. So you're going to have instructions, and I'll deal with this more in a couple weeks, about things like that. How late can they stay out? And you're confident about your answers on this. And they may buck against that. But you need to teach your children by word and by deed, both, that you see more than they do. By definition, as a parent, with experience and age, and presumably the principles of the word of God, then you see more than that child does. And you need to convince them, as I say, by word and by deed. Tell them, listen, God has put you in the good situation of being under the care of parents who want to do in your life what God has instructed. And that's what we're trying to do. And so that's a, that's a good situation for you, even if you don't recognize it. It's also an unusual situation, a distinctive situation, because not everybody has the privilege that you have to be being raised in a, in a Christian family. But I see more than you do, and because I see more than you do, I'm going to tell you those things that are good for you and will deter from you getting where you need to go. So I see uh, more than you do, and I say that in word, but I also show it in deed. And this is how you do that. In every decision you make, it should be clear to that child that you're making those decisions in their best interest. That everything you're doing is about them. They may not like it. We're going to see that in a minute. They may well not like it, but it's for them. Now, we're going to go to page 17. But what if you have messed this up already? What if you never took parenting with purpose? Your child is now 10 or your child is now 15. And you have not communicated to them There's an end game here that God has instructed us to carry out in your life. And we're going to raise you. We're going to direct you that way. And that means we know the things that are good for you and not good for you. And we're going to implement those in your life. But you haven't been doing that. You've been parenting your child in the path of least resistance. You've been parenting your child to just keep a war from happening. Many parents do that. If I tell him or her they can't, yikes. They're going to lock themselves in their room. They're going to throw a fit. They're going to walk. So this is where I am. What do I do? We'll talk more about things you do, but here's the first thing you got to do. You have to humble yourself by going to that child and seeking his or her forgiveness. 
Yep, go and ask your child to forgive you. Forgive you for what? Forgive you for failing to do as a parent what God has instructed in the Bible. God has said that there's an end for you, that you're going to be independent. You're going to establish your own home. And I've got to start as early as possible implementing that for you. God says, I'm supposed to bring you up. I'm supposed to raise you. I'm supposed to direct you. But I haven't been doing that. I've been flying blind. I haven't intentionally set out what it is you're to do and not to do in order to get from here to there. I haven't been doing that. And as a result, I haven't been carrying out my role as God has given it. As a result, I've sinned against the Lord. And I'm asking you to forgive me. And your kid will faint. That I have a parent that humble that would come and do that. But you ask, so will you forgive me? And most of them will say, yes, I forgive you. And now, having asked them to forgive you, and they having granted that forgiveness, guess what? The cool thing is we get to start over. Because now I'm going to begin doing what I haven't been doing. I've shown you the necessity of this. We're going to start doing this. Now, if you're starting when your child is 13 or they're 15, obviously there's a bunch of built-up stuff and water under the bridge that we got to deal with. So it's not the same as starting, but we'll deal that when we get to teenagers in a couple weeks. So page 17, then. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers and mothers, uh, do not exasperate your children, but instead bring them up in the instruction and training of the Lord. The instruction and training of the Lord. Training and instruction of the Lord. So first I want to deal with that first part of it. Do not exasperate your children. Ephesians 6.4 says, top of page 17, we must not exasperate our children. Here's what that does not mean. It does not mean that we never do anything that displeases our children. The fact is, because our children like us are sinners, obedience does not come naturally. Therefore, the requirement to obey will often be met with displeasure. Now, you tell a child not to do something they want to do or do something they don't want to do. The natural response for me and for you as sinners is no, I don't want to do that. And so I'll say no or I'll stomp my feet or depending on how old I am, just will determine how I'll express my displeasure. But I'll just express my displeasure in, in some way. Just as a quick aside here, you go, well, you know, I got this kid who they've always been compliant. Anything I ask them to do, they just do it. Anything I tell them they can't do, they just don't do it. You know, well, praise the Lord for you and your, and your child. I mean, there are some kids like that. They are n- more naturally compliant. And this is really just an aside. I've got lessons that I've taught on this whole thing about, you know, you can look at that kid and you can say that now that's now that's a good boy or a good girl, and in a relative sense it is. You you know they they do what you ask them to do. But everybody's a sinner, and even that compliant kid is still a sinner. You need to know that from God's word. There's still a sinner. There's still stuff going on in his or her heart. Uh, one of our girls is like what I just described. One of our two. And there's a book called Grace for the Good Girl that gets the idea that even as a compliant boy or girl, 
There are still things going on in your heart that a parent needs to be aware of. It may be people-pleasing. It may be pride against the other sibling. Why is the other sibling such a mess all the time? Right? And then you're comparing and contrasting yourself to the other. So a wise parent who's familiar with human sinful nature will be aware of that. So uh, what it does not mean is we that we never do anything that will displease our children. Like us, they're sinners, and obedience does not come naturally. So the requirement to obey will often be met with displeasure. So in order for you to be willing to stand up to that, you've got to be someone who does what I said in the first hour. If you were here in the first hour, at one point I said, we need to love others more than we need them. You need to love your kid more than you need your kid. And you, can you bring yourself to that? I mean, you, you're like, no, I need my kid. Here's what, here's what your kid needs. Your kid needs you to love them more than you need them. So that you're willing to risk their displeasure. God did not call you to be your child's best friend. I am thrilled that God has allowed me to have a friendship, a very close friendship with my girls. Thank God for that. I, I love being with them, and they fake loving being with me. <laughs> but I really do. I love it, and I love them to death. Uh, but I'm not their best friend. They don't treat me, and we don't treat each other. They don't treat me like girlfriends or you know, or my wife like a, just an older girlfriend of theirs. They know the role that God has has given to us. And we've had to tell them things that they don't like and they don't understand. But in word and in deed, over the years, we have sought to tell them and show them that every last thing we're doing is for them, whether they like it or not. And then hopefully over time then, they they catch that. Now, here's another piece of this I want to give you. If you're going to be willing to do things that displease your child, then you've got to love them more than need them. You've got to be willing to risk their displeasure. And also, you need to remember as a Christian parent that you have a very important partner in this process. Partner with a capital P. That's the Lord himself. Now, here's here's why I say this. Um, It's because you can uh, end up worrying about where your child is going to wind up. And so you are willing to do things, risk their displeasure, but the reason you're willing to risk their displeasure by telling them stuff they can't do and things they, the things they can do is not because so much it's in their best interest, but it's in yours. Like, what do you mean? You're so worried about where they might go and what might happen with them that you've placed all sorts of restrictions on them. That you become a heli, what do they call it, a helicopter mom? Am I using that right? A helicopter mom is one that's hovering around all the time? Is that what it is? Okay. And I guess you can be a helicopter dad too, right? But what causes somebody to be a helicopter mom or dad hovering, hovering around all the time, over their shoulder all the time, not giving them any sort of freedom all the time? You're forgetting you've got a partner, capital P, in this thing who knows where your child is and what your child is doing at all times. So you give them reasonable restrictions and you give them reasonable freedoms 
But you don't have to be there all the time. Now get this, guys, because you're not going to be. You're not going to be there at school with them. You're not going to be there. And the more and the older they get, there are going to be more times and more freedoms as they drive the car and all the stuff. You're not going to be there. So for you then to avoid that excessive anxiety and that helicopter mom and dad kind of an approach, that hovering approach, you have to be developing, cultivating a trust in your partner in this endeavor, namely the Lord. Lord, I'm going to do everything I know to do with this child. But I've got to trust you. I've got to trust you to watch over them. I've got to trust you to implant in their hearts what we're trying to instill, because I can't make that happen. All right, page 17 again. So what it does not mean is never doing anything to displease our children, what it does mean. To avoid exasperating our children means that we should not be the cause of their exasperation. Instead, if they are angry, it should be because of their own internal struggle to do what is right. So do not exasperate your children means that what you do and the way you do it should not be the cause. What you should be doing and emulating before them is what is right in the role God has given you. And if they then have displeasure in that, it's because of their own internal struggle, not because not because of you. So what is the consequence of provoking our children to exasperation? Notice on page 17 in another passage... That do not exasperate your children comes from Ephesians 6.4, but in Colossians 3.21, there's a parallel verse to this. It says this. In the NIV, it says, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. The New American Standard Bible says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. Exasperating, the reason the NIV says embittering them is because that word literally means We have it in the notes for you there to take the wind out of their sails. So you, by exasperating them, have caused them to feel defeated. I can't I can't do anything right. My life is not going in a good direction and it's not going to go in a good direction. And you have somehow and we're going to talk about some of the ways that you can end up communicating that to your child if you're not careful. So how do you avoid this, taking the wind out of their, their sails? How do you pro- avoid provoking them or exasperating them? Well, here's a bunch, of, a bunch of things. One, don't expect more than they can do. Don't expect more than they can do. And you might add to that, just not can do, should do. More than they should do as well. What does that look like? Where where did the rules come from for how your child's life is to be structured? Where did those rules come from? I mean, who made them up? Well, you know, you go to school at age five. Well, let me just stop there. Who made that up? Who decided that? You got a Bible verse on that? And by the way, I'm all four kids going to school at age five. I'm fine with that. It's as good as any. <laughs> But there ain't nothing sacred about that. Did you know that? Not a thing. Somebody made it up. They thought it was a good thing to do. And it, again, I don't argue with that. All things being equal, it is a good thing to do. But you just you need to we need to step back and we look at all this stuff that is sort of a, just a given to us. 
because this is what happened with me and this is what's happening with everybody else. And so that's what's going to happen with you. And we don't step back for just a few moments to think about where did all that come from? Those are structures that other people have set up. They are not things that God requires. All right, but send your kid to school. I think that would be a good thing. Or you might homeschool them. That's an option. If you homeschool your child, do it right. Don't be a mess of a homeschooler. I've known terrific homeschoolers. In fact, for a period of time, my wife was a terrific homeschooler to our girls. And I've known homeschoolers who are a wreck. And as a result, they're contributing to their kids being wrecks. Because they're not doing it well. They're not organizing it well. So you've got to know whether you can do that or not and whether or not that's a good idea for your family. But you can do either one. But the point is, somebody else has set up these standards. All right, so now when they're in school, what kind of grades are they supposed to get? Who made that up? Who decided that 93 to 100 is an A? And how do we know if your kid's supposed to get A's? Your kid may not be able to get A's. And that's okay. Now, for the teachers in here, don't shoot. You, we want our children to do the best they can, but that's different for every kid. And so you can end up imposing stuff on that child, expecting them to do more than they can, or I would add, even should do. And, and many times these are things that are imposed from the outside. They didn't come from the Bible. From society, from your upbringing, because that's the way you experienced it, so now this is the way it's supposed to go, you think. But step back and ask yourself, are these things that really they should be absolutely expected to do or not? Be careful how you correct them. With an improper tone, calling them names, with labeling them. You can never do anything right. Why can't you do anything right? Why can't you be like, oh man. Why can't you be like your brother or sister? You know, you got we've got two. They're quite different. I don't want Laney to be like Annie. I don't want Annie to be like Laney. Here's why. Because God apparently didn't want them to be. He made them different. So i got to recognize that and accept that and then now raise them in accordance with that. So I'm not going to say why you can't be more like Laney or why can't you be more like Annie or, or why can't you be more like some other kid in their class. Oh, man. Or an athlete like some other kid. You're dumb. You're stupid. I hope nobody would ever. I hope. You label your kid and you are taking the wind out of their sails. You're embittering that kid. We've got to, if we're going to avoid this, practice what we preach. I'm telling my kid all kinds of things, but they've got to see in me and they've got to see in you that you're willing to practice those very things. You'll fail at that. I have failed at that. I've had to go to my girls, and before we had our girls, we raised two nephews, some of you know, through their junior high and high school years. And I had to go to my nephews and seek their forgiveness for getting sinfully angry at them or not failing to do something that I'm telling them to do. 
Make it a point, if you're going to avoid embittering your children, to have many good times with your children. It's going to be hard. Sin being what it is, your child being resistant as they will be, as you are and I am, to instruction that we don't like. So therefore, having a close bond with them will help that. So have many good times with your children. One of the most blessed things that we ever did raising our children was, uh, and we look back on them now as the fondest times that God gave us to be together, to just go some places together. And Kim, I, I give the credit for all this. She's our uh, little travel itinerary, travel agent. And she puts these itineraries together that are terrific and fairly low budget. That's a good thing for us. She found a, when the girls were very young, she found a bed and breakfast in the Grand Rapids area that was off the beaten path. And somehow she finds this thing. This is before the Internet. And she finds it. And we went there for years. It had a a barn. It had barn animals there. And the girls were little, and they looked forward to going to that, that place. It was a place we went to, and we have bonding going on with that. And then other times that we've had. So I encourage you to find those kinds of times. Let me also encourage you that those times are not all Disney World. And those times are not all organized things where somebody's got a whistle and they're blowing and you got to do this and you do that. You believe it or not, even kids in our age love and are fascinated by simple stuff if they do it with their families. Those barn animals, you don't get barn animals in Flat Rock. But they get to go and do this, and they, you know, they got uh, the the donkey. I'm forgetting the donkey's name. You too. Alzheimer's is kicking in for us, isn't it? I'm not moving on until I remember that donkey's name. Okay. <laughs> there was a llama there, the pig, the huge pig. The first pig was Petunia, the pig. And the next year we go back in bed and breakfast. Do you have breakfast? And the girls go, where's Petunia? <laughs> so we had to find a clever way to explain explain that. And they had another pig named Oreo, I think, after that. Yeah. So anyway, whatever it is. Communicate love and appreciation freely. Uh, I am very proud of you. But, you know, make it genuine. You know, make it real in our culture. We lie to our kids. We're being told to lie to our kids. Everybody's a winner. See, everybody's not a winner. Sometimes you lose. And the kids have to learn to lose. Uh, you know, so don't tell them they're great at something if they're not. But you can still compliment them. You know, you are out there giving, I am proud of you, you're out there giving it 100%. You're out there giving it everything you've got. You know, that kind of thing. But you don't tell them they're a great basketball player or soccer player or whatever it is uh, if, they're, if they're not. But communicate love and appreciation freely. And I might add truly, truthfully. Let them fail and make mistakes. Let them fail and make mistakes even at the stuff that is important to you that they experience because you had it as a kid so that you're not living your life vicariously through your child. You know, I was a great Little League player. I wasn't, but I'm saying if you were a great Little League player, then you want your kid to be a great Little League player. Well, maybe they aren't. Let them fail. Make rules and expectations known rather than making them up on the fly. Admit, as I've already said, your own mistakes. Be approachable and listen. You know, so our Annie, she wouldn't mind me saying this. 
I don't think, but she's not in here, so I don't tell her. But when I said you got one of our two girls who was the compliant one, it wasn't Annie, okay? And, and Annie would ask a lot of questions, lots of questions. And Annie always wanted to know why. And so we would listen, and we would explain to her why along the lines of what I said to you earlier. Because this is where God has placed us. And then as I, as I was able, I would try to show her the connection between the thing we're prohibiting or the thing that we're allowing and the objective that we're trying to pursue. I'd try to show that to her when I could. There are times sometimes when I couldn't or I just didn't have the time. And then I would explain that to her. It's good for you to learn to obey even when you don't have a full explanation. Because there are going to be times where I don't have time to give you a full explanation as to why. So it's good for you to learn that. But as much as I'm able, we tried to do that. All right. So that's what it means to exasperate our, to not exasperate our children. Bottom of page 17. We have to bring them up in the training of the Lord and on page 18, the instruction of the Lord. And we see that there's a whole page of stuff about that. We're going to look at that page then beginning next week. Okay? All right, let's pray. Ask God to go with us this week. Father, thank you for the opportunity to think about parenting, to think about the blessed task that you have given to us to raise the next generation, the blessed task that you've given to some who are grandparents to help the next generation raise that following generation. Lord, this is a blessed task that you have privileged us with, but it's not an easy task. Because of our sin and because of our children's sin, there are so many things that get in the way of smoothing the path of the parenting task. But thank you, Lord, for instructing us and not leaving us in the dark. Thank you for giving us direct instruction in your word and wisdom through the experience of your people through the books that we have and the recommended reading, through the experiences of other brothers and sisters, so that we can learn from uh, the wisdom of one another. We ask you then this week to help us to implement what we've learned to this point. Lord, grant us joy with our, our families and with our children. And grant us safety, we ask you this week, and bring us back together next Lord's Day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.